Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music, music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're answering that question with all the S's in it. When should students start scales? You can find the article that goes along with this episode at colorfulkeys.ie slash 173. Or if you're a member, vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 173. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. We are in the middle of scales month. And last week we talked about modes and got a little bit creative. And now we're going to get into one of those nitty gritty questions. When should we begin scales with a student? What do you think? I don't think there's one right answer on this for sure, and there's definitely a lot of considerations. It's a question that might sound a bit dull or maybe a bit bland, but I actually think there's a lot to it. Understanding when a student should begin working on scales is about what scales are for and the technique involved and how we teach technique. Because scales by themselves are not technique. They're technical exercises in the way most of us do them. And if you don't mind me getting um, too abstract about it, what even is a scale? When we say, when should a student start scales? We need to know what that is. And I know you might be thinking, oh my gosh, she doesn't know what scales are. I do know what scales are, but I do think it's debatable what counts as a scale. Like, is a pentascale a scale? Is it still a scale if I play one octave up and down, C to C, but I only use my second finger, so it's non-legato? Is that knowing a scale? Is that playing scales? I think most of us, when we talk about starting scales with a student, we mean the more traditional legato, thumb across technique way of doing them, right? With that standard fingering. So let's have a think about when our students do scales, because I don't like to take anything for granted, as you know. So I hope you'll go on a little journey with me and put a question mark around something that you might have a very standard way of doing in your studio. For me, every student is different, and I like to consider two main things when I'm deciding if if each individual student is ready to begin working on scales. Question one is, is the student musically ready to start scales? And question two is, are they technically ready to start scales? So let's take each of those in turn. 
starting with the musical element. If you're familiar with my work, you might know that I'm a big believer in including improvisation in almost every single piano lesson. So it won't be a surprise to you that I believe we should start scales from an improvisation standpoint, not from that one octave up and down, though across standard fingering approach. I prefer that all students encounter scales, or we could say encounter keys, from improvisation first. A scale is really a palette of notes that we use to make music. And I don't think there's a better way to understand the value of scales and their role in music and to get used to the sound and the patterns of them, the visual patterns as well, on the piano than improvising with them first. This is one thing that us pianists have that maybe many other instrumental uh, students don't have. Vocal students certainly can do this too, but for a student who's learning violin or whatever, they need to find all those notes. And really, I guess, I'm just guessing here, but I think you would have to do them in order. Starting with improvisation would be just a leap too far. I mean, it would be much more difficult. But we have all the notes laid out in front of us. So starting with improvisation first means your student gets used to the patterns. They get used to the fact that they need that F-sharp there to make it sound like that type of music, right? To make it sound like G major, even if they're not calling it G major, they know that this doesn't sound like it fits within that palette of notes that you're playing together. When I talk about this kind of improvisation, I'm pretty much always talking about doing it in a duet improv first, as I originally got the confidence to do way back when from the wonderful Forrest Kinney. So improvise with your students using scales. If you haven't started already, please do it. If you're needing a bit of support in getting going with that, if you're not sure where to start or you just want more of a step-by-step way of doing this to follow, We have a course inside Vibrant Music Teaching called The Circle of Fifths Odyssey. We actually have a new minor one coming out. But if you're just starting, go with The Circle of Fifths Odyssey. So that one takes your students around the Circle of Fifths and you improvise in every key along the way. And I provide full patterns for the accompaniments. Now, if you're someone who's perfectly happy to vamp away, you can follow the the uh, plans and use your own favorite accompaniments. You can do much fancier things. But if you need some way to get going, if you're someone who really likes the written music in front of you, those patterns are in the plan. So you just read them and it's just a matter of repeating them over and over. They're very simple chord patterns and your student can improvise in the key. It's all laid out for you. So that is inside the Vibrant Music Teaching membership. If you're not a member and you want to check it out and see what's included, you can go to vmt.ninja. One of the reasons I love doing scales this way, apart from students finding the patterns and getting to hear and feel what those scales are like, is the technique that you get to build into this. So if students are improvising with scales in this way, You may have guessed that I'm not teaching them the fingering patterns to improvise with. I'm having them jump side to side with one finger generally, or just, you know, freestyle. I'm not prescribing any particular fingering pattern or even finger choice. 
if I demonstrate, I'll often do something that's age appropriate. So if it's a preschooler, for example, and I'm showing them what they might do when, you know, we improvise on the white keys, I would take finger two and hop side to side or finger three if that's what they tend to use. You get to know each student and whichever one they instinctively go for, it's fine with me. If it's an older student, they might instinctively use a whole bunch of fingers. That's great too. But I do want them hopping around and I don't want them stuck just to one octave of a C scale. I want them to just see it as one big series of notes because that's what scales really are. Before we get into them playing them up and down as a pattern, I want them to first see the bigger picture. So by playing with just one finger and hopping side to side, they have to use their whole arm to move, right? They naturally build in that arm weight movement that we want to develop in our newer students. All right, so hopefully I've convinced you to start with improv. If your student has been improvising with their scales for a little while or certain keys, if you want to go through systematically, then maybe they're ready to start one octave scales. But we have the next piece of the puzzle. The next piece of the puzzle is the technique required. Because I'm going to assume that you want them to play these scales legato. Now, if you have a whole other approach, great. Okay, that's fine. But if you do want them to play standard scales legato, up and down one octave, then you need them to have like what I don't want is for my students to learn legato through scales. Scales can provide extra practice of that, sure, and they provide practice of other things, right? And they can be opportunity to explore dynamics and all sorts of things. But I don't want to be teaching my student legato in a context of a scale. The reason for that is because I've seen it go wrong so many times. So if you're introducing a scale to a student, they have other things to worry about, right? They've got their fingering patterns, no matter how you teach them, and we'll talk about that in a future episode, but they've got their fingering patterns to think about and the coordination if they're doing both hands and the actual notes and however you want them to play them. And then you're also introducing legato. I mean, there's just too much going on there. The other problem I see with this is it's really difficult to predict how well a student is going to do initially with legato playing. So if you first introduce legato playing or not even first introduce it, but they've done it a bit in piece, but you haven't observed it too much or paid too much attention to whether they're doing it or not and how they're using their bodies to create that sound, then you run the risk of starting scales, then playing them legato and it actually being really poor legato and you need to do some sort of remedial work on that and then you have to kind of either forge ahead with scales and hope the two things come together eventually or back up on the scales and the student is wondering where do those things go right so I prefer that they have efficient beautiful legato before we begin all my students start with non-legato playing with all their pieces and everything first, and then we gradually introduce legato playing. That goes for three-year-olds as much as it goes for adult students. It's just the pace of the, ch of the introduction of legato that would be different. So if my students start with non-legato playing and we're introducing legato, I would be starting with two or three note slurs for the legato. And then once they're good with that, we're developing it up to where they're playing pieces, where they have short phrases in, in 
if a student is able to do that consistently and they play their legato without dropping their wrist too low down, without having collapsing fingertips, without all of the other compensation techniques that students do when their legato playing is inefficient. And these really are just just a way of compensating for inefficient technique. So you don't have the whole arm weight behind the legato. They'll drop their wrist down and it's an attempt to cajole their fingers into doing the thing you've asked them to do, but it's actually making it more difficult in many, basically. And it's also you know, possibly a cause for even injury later later on, or at the very best, just inefficient playing that comes back to bite you later. So if a student is already playing legato, great, that's when I can start on the scales. But until they get to that point, and that could be a very short time, it could be, you know, within their first few months, or it could be a few years for a younger student, and also for an older student too. Unless they've gotten to that point, I'm not going to start scales. I really don't care how long it takes. And it just means that I have more time for improvisation, if that's the case. Bonus, right? That's awesome. If your student does start on scales, we'll talk next week about which scale they might start with and the various debates there. And then we'll talk the following week about what way we teach scales so then the ins and outs of how you actually teach a student to play a scale whether they read them whether they learn them by rote what methods you have of building them up to full octaves or two octaves etc today's debate was just about when do we begin and i hope it was useful for you if you do start scales with a student i want to encourage you not to let go of the first step which was to improvise using the scale keep that going. As they get comfortable with the scale fingering, maybe they'll start to naturally move over to using this in their improvisations and they can see if you demonstrate a little bit, turning around and going back and forth using your scale fingerings. They can see how that applies to their improv and the two things connect together. You should also do some work to connect this up to other things. So have them compose based on the scales that they're learning as well as the improvisation, you know, write some of these things down. And when the time comes, make sure that this gets connected to their pieces as well. I know many teachers might prefer to only teach a scale when it comes up in a piece, and I think that's sometimes it can be a good way to go as long as you get to each scale quickly enough. Make sure you're making it relevant, in other words, and that you don't let scales dissipate into this pure, technical, dry exercise. Your one thing of the week this week is to improvise yourself in a key signature of your choice. If you're already an experienced improviser, I want you to go right ahead and just book a little five minute slot with yourself to spend some time improvising. If you're not, I'm going to give you a simple way to do this. So I want you to play with your left hand D flat and A flat together. And hold the pedal down and then with your right hand, play notes in the scale of D flat major. Just jumping around one finger at a time like I explained with students. And then follow this in your left hand with E flat and A flat together. And just alternate back and forth so it goes left hand, right hand plays a few notes, 
left hand, right hand plays a few more notes, and when you feel like it's the end, play a low D flat. It's that simple. I hope you enjoyed this episode and it gave you some food for thought around when we introduce scales. You can find the article at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 173, or if you're not a member, colorfulkeys.ie slash 173, and I'll see you back here for the next episode. Vibrant Music Teaching members get five new games or resources at least every single month that keep them inspired and wanting to become a better teacher each and every day. If you want to join the best community of teachers online, you can go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.